we'll be back into the regular swing next week, and we'll switch those back. But uh, we're in Jeremiah this evening um, because of the text and its uh, application this morning for our worship time. And so we are uh, pressing along, and uh, we are going to be into Jeremiah chapter 4. It's going a little slower than I really anticipated. I thought I'd be a little farther along by now. Um, in this study, but we're going to uh, get quite a ways, I hope, tonight as we uh, drive through some of these themes. Now that we are being to be fully introduced to theme, the themes, we should be able to pick them up pretty quickly. But there is one introduction tonight, but I don't want to develop it too much because the text at hand doesn't develop it a lot. We have some other texts later on that are much stronger in this sense, and so we're going to Uh, work more on that later. I really want to uh, press on into deep into chapter 4 tonight. And so before we do so, let's um, go ahead and read the text that we're going to try to get through. Um, And it is a little lengthy, but um, it's okay. Uh, We'll get get through there. So chapter 4 of Jeremiah and the New King James reads, If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you'll put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, and take away the foreskins of your hearts, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. Declare in Judah, proclaim in Jerusalem, and say, Blow the trumpet in the land, cry, Gather together, and say, Assemble yourselves, and let us go into the fortified cities. Set up the standard toward Zion. Take refuge, do not delay, for I'll bring disaster from the north and great destruction. The lion has come up from his thicket, and the destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid waste without inhabitant. For this, clothe yourself with sackcloth, lament, and wail. For the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish and the heart of the princes. The priests shall be astonished and the prophets shall wonder. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying you shall have peace whereas the sword reaches to the heart. At that time it will be said to this people into Jerusalem, a dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan or to cleanse. A wind too strong for these will come for me. Come for, for me. Now I will also speak judgment against them. Behold, it shall come like clouds and his chariots like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us if we are plundered. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make mention to the nations. Yes, proclaim against Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and raise their voice against the cities of Judah Like keepers of a field, they are against her all around, because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. This is your wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reaches to your heart. Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. 
My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard my soul. The sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, destruction upon destruction is cried. For the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered and my curtains in a moment. How long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? For my people are foolish. They have not known me. They are silly children and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and indeed they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld, and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were broken down, the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate. For this shall the earth mourn, and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken. I have purpose, and will not relent, nor will I turn back from it. The whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and bow. They shall go into the thickets and climb up on the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken, and not a man shall dwell in it. And when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you. They will seek your life. For I have heard a voice as of a woman in labor, the anguish as of her who brings forth her first child, the voice of the daughter of Zion bewailing herself. She spreads her hands, saying, Woe is me now, for my soul is weary because of murderers. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know, and seek in her own places if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. And I wanted to include that. We're going to have that next week as well, but I wanted to include that. So we come into chapter 4, and uh, there are a couple of themes, and we have what we saw last week introduced of the interaction between the Lord and his prophet, that this is uh, not only thus says the Lord book, this is a thus says the Lord, and here's Jeremiah's heartfelt response uh, to grasping the nature of what God is asking him to preach. That as he goes out to declare that, he is, he is certainly strengthened and, and up to the task. God has put that in his heart, in his life, in his character. Um, but he is also tender towards what it entails and is advocating uh, to God for his people. Uh, and we have, again, similar examples of that in Moses and others who were advocates for their people in the face of God's judgment. And some have contended, I would probably join with them, that Jeremiah in many ways, as Moses, um, is res- partly uh, fulfills that role of pushing off the judgments of God. Uh, certainly Josiah and his reforms had a factor in that. Um, but as Jeremiah's persistent uh, uh engagement with God over his plan and the devastation that it will wreak upon the people. Um, and so we've, we find, we're going to find that here in this text extensively. In fact, sometimes it's very difficult to distinguish. Are we, is this Jeremiah or is this thus says the Lord? Or is this Jeremiah responding and in the midst of that is talking about the Lord? And, uh, and so we're going to see some of that. And this is one of those chapters that has that extensively. We're going to try to sort through some of it, and I'm not going to be too adamant about it, so if you don't want to agree with some of that, that's probably okay, certainly. Um, to do that, you won't be alone. 
Um, there are plenty of different viewpoints of who is speaking in which verses. But right away, uh, we do recognize that when it says, thus, when it, when it declares, says the Lord in verse 1, uh, we realize this is the Lord speaking and we're going to have this for a little bit. Uh, and so that makes it easy. Those passages are very simple by and large. There's one or two exceptions we're going to look at. Um, but we come to this statement. And remember, uh, we've just gotten done dealing with an extensive passage uh, about Israel in a book that's really written to Judah. And so we just got done with that at the end of chapter 3. We come into chapter 4, and again the statement, If you return, O Israel, return to me. If you'll put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you might say, well, they've already been moved. Um, well, but they will not be utterly destroyed. And that's going to become a theme very strong as we get into chapter 5 and 6 about Judah. Are you going to completely destroy them? Are you that angry? They're just going to, just, they're going to be gone. You're going to start over with somebody else. Um, that's the question that Jeremiah really has. Um, but here again, God's statement is that uh, there's still hope. Um, and so there's still time to uh, repent, to turn to God. And so what does it look like to turn to God? And this is what they swear. And, and that word swearing is that promise, that oath. That declaration of uh, sincere intent, not just external stuff, not just, um, you know, trite little statements, but a true oath in our heart that says, um, the Lord lives. And here is a very powerful declaration. This is very different. Um, A Hindu doesn't say this to their God, because their gods don't live, really. They're little rocks, and they're little, they might be pretty, they might be ugly, um, but they don't live, and everyone knows it. They're not alive. But here we declare that this Lord is alive, and he has interacted with mankind. He is active agent in our history. Um, he is there, and so he is the one true and living God. And so the Lord lives, and they say this in truth, in judgment, in righteousness, uh, that they declare this. So the Lord lives, they'll say it in truth, they'll say it in judgment, in righteousness, that, the, that he lives in that and that they are going to partake in that. And now we have this uh, sub-theme. That this, and sometimes it's not a sub-theme in Jeremiah, but we call it that because um, it's not the primary facet of the message. And that is the place of the nations. And we've seen a little bit of it. But here we find that the intention is that if you turn to the Lord, the nations themselves, it says, shall bless themselves in God. Here you are in captivity uh, you have been in dispersion, really, in Assyria, uh, and you're going to be swallowed up by the Babylonian Empire as well. Um, but you are going to be able to be a blessing. You'll be able to bless the nations, um, and they can bless themselves in you. And so you can become this, this ministry to the, those that you are held captive by. Um, but that ministry is dependent upon you returning to me. You're going to have to be faithful to that. You are going to have to keep yourself in it. You're going to have to make that oath, keep that oath, and then you'll be a blessing. Um, the nations shall bless themselves in him, in the Lord. They'll see your commitment to God, even in captivity. And remember the mindset here. The mindset is that if we conquered you, what does that say about our gods? Our God is greater than your God. That's their mindset. If we conquer you, our gods are greater than your gods. Remember, that's what 
the Philistines thought, and so they brought the Ark of the Covenant in to their god to bow down before Magog, and then their god fell down and broke. Um, and so they learned that wasn't the right correlation to make. Uh, and so uh, as they come in, we're going to find these nations coming in, just as Assyria did throughout Israel and a lot of Judah. Um, and as Babylon comes in, it'd be a very simple thing for them to just go home and declare our God is greater than their God. And one of the things you always see in the procession of victory are the gods of the people that you conquered. And that was no different for Israel. And, uh, and in fact, if you go to, the, to Rome, what will you see on the Ark of Triumph in Rome? The things they brought to Rome in victory. What do you see on the Ark of Triumph? What are, or Arch of Triumph, I gave it away. One of the things you will see on the Arch of Triumph as you walk in the city of Rome is the Ark of the Covenant. You will see that they carried it off. And they claim victory over Jerusalem because they destroyed the temple. And therefore, their God is weak. And that happened in the fall of Jerusalem. So you find these things and you, you look at them. This was the mindset. And so God calls you that even though you're under judgment, even when things are bad and you're off up there in Assyria, listen, you turn to me, you, you with oath in your heart, with, in truth, in judgment and righteousness, you serve the Lord, um, then God will bless the nations, uh, and as it literally says, the nations will bless themselves in your God. That here they are going to bring you in, they're going to see your devotion to your God, and that you had to repent, you recognize you deserve that judgment, and you're going to declare that, and you're going to repent and turn to God, that you're going to have an impact on them. Uh, a great example of that, of course, is the gal that was carried away captive to the household of Naaman. And here Naaman is the leper, and who's going to minister to him? He's a leper. And no one in Syria can do anything about it. And so the little servant girl um, speaks to her mistress and says, well, if he would just go down to my land and speak, you know, there's a prophet there that would heal him. Um, and so here... By going down and meeting up the prophet, Naaman receives healing. He's going to become a worshiper of the God of Israel. All those things, right? Same thing happens later on with Daniel, right? Here he is, he and his friends, uh, captive in Babylon. What impact do they have? Well, if they stay devoted to God, even in this pretty hostile environment where the prevailing attitude will be your God, let you down, our God beat him up. Um, you have an opportunity to minister. You can be a blessing. And this is going to be a major theme in Jeremiah. Because remember, Jeremiah isn't just before the, uh, the captivity. It's also during the captivity. Jeremiah is going to minister during the early years of the captivity. So he's going to send letters later on. That's why we're going to really develop that much more when we get to in the 20s and 30s, uh, when he's going to deal with them in captivity. What do you do over there? Well, you be a blessing to them. You're there to be ministers of God, but it's going to require you to do what you didn't do in the land, and that is be devoted with all of your heart to the one true and living God. And you're going to have to take that stand. Once you take that stand, then uh, you can have an impact. And they will bless themselves, not in you, but in the one you serve. And so when you read the God of Daniel 
Who are they talking about? They're not talking about Daniel. They're talking about his God. And so when you read it in verse, verse in him, in him, uh, they're going to be blessed and bless themselves in your God. And that uh, throws itself up in the face of the attitudes of that age that your God is, is weak and our God is strong because we just destroyed your nation. Um, but rather, the testimony needs to be the reason you did that is as an instrument of God because of our sin, because we abandoned the one true and living God. And so they will uh, have, uh, they will see God's glory um, as a result of you being captives in their land. But this is all a domino effect. This is dependent upon you returning to God and swearing by oath the Lord lives and doing it in truth, righteousness, judgment, and in and positioning yourself strongly there, which the examples I've already given you um, are certainly the highlights of those. Um, There are certainly many others as well. Let's press on, because we're going to talk a lot more about that when we get into the 20, in the chapter 29 and in the 30s, um, when we see the effect and the the ministry in captivity. So let's go back. Now, that's finishing up Israel, and I want to include that because um, you know, Israel was already in captivity, and so this is a message that they needed to hear, that they could be a, a, an effective ministry there, um, even though they're not in the land of promise, uh, even though they're under the hand of God's judgment. If they would return and just uh, acknowledge that the Lord is the one true and living God, they put away all their abominations, um, they can be established even in a foreign land. And that is true for Israel all through her history. Um, and we're going to see later on how well they did in Babylon. Um, they, and even in Assyria, they did very well. Those that got taken away in captivity um, got to some pretty high positions in the Babylonian Empire pretty quickly. Um, and we're going to look at that. But this is for Israel. So now let's jump to verse 3, and we're going to see, we're going to turn back now to Judah. So if I was going to make the chapter division, I would put it right here. Um, this would be more natural. So let's go to chapter 4, verse 3. It says, thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem. That's going to be repeated in verse 5, because now we are turning our attention back to the main audience. And that is Judah, uh, and specifically Jerusalem, as the seat of government and the seat of the temple. The, the place of the temple. And so Judah and Jerusalem, we're going to focus on Jerusalem. And again, the cry is, uh, thus says the Lord, verse 3, uh, break up your fallow ground, do not sow among thorns. And the invitation again, if you don't know what fallow ground is, it, it just means that it's unplowed. Um, it is untilled. It is, and that condition makes it less fertile. And I have been reminded of that very strongly this fall. Um, I have been trying to plant stuff down in the valley there. I irrigate, I baby it, and at the end of the season, it's just, and I think, oh, I'm over grazing it. Maybe that's my problem. I keep rotating them from field to field, do everything, and I get nowhere. And I'm like, what is going on? And so I finally broke down this fall and hired a guy to come out and do some tests and uh, he takes soil samples, and he says, dig a hole right here. You got your tractor, and I dig a hole with my backhoe. And he says, keep digging, keep digging. And he says, there's your problem. 
What's the problem? I got 20 inches of solid clay. And he says, that's all going to be broken up. 20 inches deep. The whole field. We got to break it all the way down. And after you get to 20 inches, it's sand. It's just nice. Not, not the surface sand like we have here. It's nice sand, like a river bottom almost. And um, so he dug this hole, and he says, now we got to break that up. We've got to break that. And he takes the samples. He says, you got no nutrients in there at all. He says, the only thing these plants are living on is the surface water you give them. It's not draining well. And um, essentially, they cannot get their roots deeper than an inch and a half on your lot. And they need to go 20 inches. Okay, so what am I going to do? Break up your fallow ground. Got to go deeper than you've ever gone. You've got to break that soil up so that the moisture as well and the nutrients can get down in where the roots need to grow deep so that the plant above is strong. And God here is saying, you have your soil so compacted, your heart is so hardened that no seed can penetrate it. And so I want you to do two things. Um, break up the fallow ground, the un, unbroken, the, the unplowed field. Break it up. Go in there and plow through your heart and, uh, and soften yourself to receive the seed. And don't sow among thorns. And so while you're also doing that, you're also getting rid of all the weeds. I was really good at raising weeds. Why? Because most of the weeds I was raising had very shallow roots. Their roots all went... Psh- and they took over and they kill. And, they, and so in addition to not being able to get the roots of the good plants that need to go deep, deep, uh, my weed plants were going this way and thriving. And because they didn't need to go deep, they're very shallow rooted. And he says, don't sow in, among the thorns. Let's get the weeds and the hard pack of your heart out and let's put in the truth. And the other description that he has then after that example in verse 4 is to circumcise yourselves the lords again that you take away this covering of your heart that you've hidden your heart from the truth you've you you have put it in a in a shadowy place and and so circumcise yourself take away the foreskins of your heart men of judah and again the focus is on the men um, here particularly that we're going to talk about the ladies at the end of the chapter but he starts off with the men here leadership uh, particularly again the king priests and prophets is Jeremiah's focal point, his relatives in some cases. Um, And that's the only thing that's going to keep the fury of God from coming. And so again, this is going to come. It is inevitable uh, unless you repent. And that looks like this. Not doing just a, uh, you know, I'm just going to scratch the surface and throw a little bit of truth out there. Um, And that's essentially what happened under Josiah. We scratched the surface a little bit, and and I did. I ran a little thing over and tried to scratch the surface to get the seeds in when I planted, but I never really ran a deep breaker through anything. You know, my thing was, it's just good soil all the way down. It's just the top, and I just got to do this. No. And he says, this is what Josiah is doing. It's great that Josiah wants to serve the Lord, but he's one man, and Judah didn't follow him. And he just broke the surface. He had good intentions, good desire, but it never penetrated because the ground underneath that little scratching on the surface was just packed hard 
and impenetrable. The seed won't penetrate, the roots won't penetrate, so you've got to take something stronger than that, and that, uh, in, in my case, is, is giant rippers were taken out there to rip the soil all up. Um, but in this case, they need to rip their hearts open and let the truth and the light of Christ enter it. Uh, and again, uh, God's righteousness is what is bringing this upon them because of their evil. So again, verse 5, we're t- still talking to the same body of people. Um, the Lord is still calling on Jeremiah to speak. says, so let's get everyone together. Uh, come and get into your, do all your defenses you want. Um, it's not going to stop, but the imminence of what's coming is very real. So go ahead and tell everybody to get in the city because it is coming. I have already started the process. I have already initiated the nation that's going to come down here and take is Jerusalem out. So you might as well just start fortifying your city. It won't help, but uh, you might as well do it. Um, do all that and, and blow the trumpet, gather together, get your city fortified, raise your standards, um, do everything you want because uh, the destroyer of nations is on his way. He's coming. I've already put the gears in motion for this to happen. It's, it's just a matter of time. And the only thing that's going to prevent it is if you do something to stop it because I've already initiated it. And this we have, again, what is it going to stop that's going to stop us? Well, you're going to have to uh, clothe yourself. You're going to, in, in sackcloth, you're going to have to lament. You're going to have to wail. Um, but instead... Um, uh, they don't. They they gnash their teeth. They they, gr- they they clench their jaws at God and really at His prophets and say, "No, it's not going to happen to us." And so they ignore all of this. Um, but uh, the fact is that the promise of God in verse nine. Again, look at the focus. Remember, we talked about this. Who the audience is? The king, the prince, the priest, the prophets. That's who Jeremiah is really talking to. Remember, that's his family. He is in those circles. Those are his, his peeps. Is that, the way, is that still popular? I don't know. Um, that, that's his, uh, his crew. There you go. Is that, oh, am I dating myself badly here? My disconnect from everyone? It's his gang. There, that's totally 60s. All right. Um, those, those are the people that he grew up with, that he hobnobs with, that he, that he engages, that, that he knows their names. He knows, he, he, he's familiar with them, and he's comfortable around them, and he's saying, listen, the, the, I, I said, um, uh, God says that your heart's going to perish. Right now you're standing in proud confidence, um, but you and the princes are going to be broken, the, the priests are going to be amazed, astonished, because they're sure the temple can't be taken, and the prophets are going to go, whoa, how did we miss that? These are the false prophets. And then we have Jeremiah responding, having heard that everything's already in motion, that it is going to happen unless they intervene, he has this engagement with God again. Again, appealing for the people. He says, Lord God, um, you've greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying you shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches to the heart. Um, His statement is, is that the people believe something. 
And the problem here with Jeremiah is that he believes that the Lord has deceived them. How is this true? Is this true? And by the way, um, don't get too angry at Jeremiah for um, challenging God on you can't lie to people um, and, and intimating that he is. Uh, that is very similar to the uh, engagement that Moses had with God is, well, how can you do that? Because um, you said you were going to do these things. And, and Moses comes to God and says, if word gets out, they, they, you know, who's going to trust in you? And so Jeremiah comes and says, listen, these people all consider this to be a place of peace. This is Jerusalem. That's the name of the place, right? City of peace. And uh, you've promised this. Uh, in fact, they have also sent some prophets to say, oh, go ahead, you know, and, and you'll have peace. And, but in fact, uh, a sword is going to penetrate right into their souls And God seems to agree with this to some degree. The question again is, when is, when is Jeremiah done speaking? Most would contend that it ends at the end of chapter, uh, verse 10, and that God goes right in to describe, answering the challenge. And uh, his cha- answer would be, at that time, it'll be said to this people in Jerusalem, a dry wind of, uh, is going to be blowing. Uh, and it's too strong. For those... Uh, for these will come for me. Now I will also speak judgment against them. Um, the fact is, is that um, there will be peace. It'll be a change, and there is a ne- necessary judgment. But that judgment um, is something that they have put upon themselves. And God desires for them to have peace. That's why He's sending the prophets. That's why he invites them to, um, to break up their fallow ground, to circumcise their hearts, to um, wash their hearts. He's going to say in verse 14, um, over and over again, we're going to find this invitation. But the fact is, is that um, uh, the desolation is going to be necessary. And it is ultimately going to bring them peace. The people have misconstrued God's promise of peace. We don't do that today, do we? We don't do that, take the promises of God and say, Oh, God, now you have to do this because this is your promise. We don't do that anymore today at all, do we? Do you remember the prayer of Jabez movement that swept through our country? You know why it wasn't going to last very long? Because it was a desolate wind that claim promises that aren't ours and tried to twist the arm of God into this um, without the accompanying necessary elements uh, for a vital, active prayer life, um, which requires righteousness, truth, and justice, not just, Lord, give me more. So yes, this is still a problem today. And God's going to address it. He says, listen, it has begun. It has gotten so far that there is no turning back at this point. Their sin has become so so deep. Um, and so the guy is coming. Verse 13 is another reference to Babylon. 
uh, describing. He's going to come like clouds, his chariots like a whirlwind. Uh, and, and the response of the people is going to go to us for we are plundered. But at that point, it's too late. They should have said, well, we are sinners, but they didn't. So they're going to have to be plundered before they can be um, given the peace that God will ultimately provide through Jesus Christ. So again, the themes are carried through, right? Here we have the theme again. Wash your hearts of wickedness. Again, not your externals, but your heart. Verse 14, how long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? And remember, evil hearts, evil thoughts, this is the focus of Jeremiah. Um, Not your doings as much as your intentions and what's going on in your heart. What are you after? What are you interested in? And doing your own things or doing it um, God's way. Um, And and as we go through, we're going to see this uh, developed and continually to be just pressed upon Judah. Um, It's your heart. It's your thoughts. it's, It's your desire to do it your way instead of my way that is going to bring this upon us. And again, we if we jump down uh, to verse 18, your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. This is your wickedness. And this is the ultimate answer to Jeremiah's challenge. This isn't me lying to them. This is them breaking the covenant. They have purchased this judgment by their wickedness. And how many times do we find people blaming God when things don't go their way, though they never served him? Or they served him their way. They didn't want to do it God's way, and then when things don't go the way they want, or that God didn't answer their prayer just so and just when, um, they blame God. And God's basic statement to Israel is, you bought this. This is what you bought. You wanted to be so wicked that you that were procured. You purchased this. You acquired these things. Uh, all this judgment that's coming, um, all the nations rising up against you, all the um, uh, people abandoning you and this destroyer of nations coming to desolate you, um, all of this is what you've bought. This is your wickedness, not mine. It is bitter. It reaches to your heart. Yes, It is a sword that reaches to the heart. And that part he does agree with. But he says, this isn't my wickedness. This is their wickedness. This isn't God's wickedness in action. Oh, he abandoned us. Oh, he didn't keep his word. We're supposed to be a place of peace. We're the city of peace. Oh, oh, oh. well, you abandoned him. You forsook him. Your wickedness bought you something. And it bought you, because you've broken the covenant, the judgments of the covenant and this is real important israel broke the covenant but that did not erase the covenant god is faithful to the covenant and therefore the covenant stands so when these people turn their back on god they cannot get out from under the covenant when it's when they've broken it and so they're still bound to it even though they have broken it and, and that's true today. If you go into a, a covenant agreement, you are bound to it even if you don't keep it. That's why you get sued. <laughs> because the law recognizes, no, you're responsible for it even if you want to break it. We're not breaking the covenant as in destroying it. We are violating its principles because, and God is faithful to it. And remember what the covenant says. If you 
follow me, I will bless you. If you forsake me, I will judge you. God's going to keep the covenant. You have violated the covenant. That doesn't make the covenant. You can't cast it off because it's yours as a people. And so if you had no covenant with God, then you just go on your merry way to oblivion and, and to eternal destruction. But, but because you have this covenant, God is keeping it by calling you. So the bitterness and all the, the sword that's going to pierce your soul that Jeremiah talks about picks up again in verse 18. God says, um, you bought this by your own wickedness. So don't throw this onto me and say, I've lied. I have kept it that if they would serve me, I'll bless them, they'll have peace. But if they violate the covenant, then the covenant requirements are that you be judged, and that's what's coming. And again, we have a response. So really, I see verse 11 through 18 as the answer to Jeremiah's complaint. Now we're going to see Jeremiah's response to the answer. Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I can't hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war, destruction upon destruction is cried. For the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered, my curtains in a moment. How long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the, of the trumpet? And whether that is the conclusion for my people are foolish. They have not known uh, me, which makes it, makes us, Note the Lord is in, in the context of the first my, is the second me. They are silly people and they have no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. Um, and again, we're back into God speaking. In the, and uh, many would contend that verses 19, 20, and 21 is also the Lord speaking. And that's you'll see that because my is capitalized in verse... 19, um, not the first my, it says, Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. Uh, and many would contend right there. Uh, and then when it says, My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, Oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet. So he's speaking and, he's, and he is engaging this answer and he realizes the seriousness that God isn't to be blamed. The people that are to be blamed are the people. The people are. And we hear this and we recognize that as long as I can, am I dealing with God, I can engage him with a sense of justice and truth and righteousness and I can have an expectation of that from him. But now that I have to engage the people, all bets are off, right? Because they're not about the truth. They're not about doing what's fair, right, just, or even what's good for them. Because they're just going to be self-interested, and so he, he in in the mind there, it's the this is for there's almost a, a sense of despair, and hence you have oh my soul, my soul, I'm pained in my very heart, um, and yes, it can be applied to God, um, but I I think this is very. Uh, indicative of Jeremiah's statements. And he's like, God is just and right, and now it's up to the people having to return to him, and and there's just, there's almost a despair there. 
and he realizes that the destruction is going to come. Everything is going to be plundered. Um, everything is going to happen because of the stubbornness. He knows who he's talking to. And remember, he has already told at his commissioning that people aren't going to listen. Don't let that stop you. Keep talking. Keep sharing my word. So he already knows that there's a little bit of a pointlessness, it seems, from a human perspective of what he's doing. And again, whether he is saying this is the Lord's view or whether the Lord is interjecting now in verse 22, uh, my people are foolish. Um, they haven't really gotten to know me. Um, and so they, they, and this is where we're at, I think, in this country. Christianity today is, here in this verse, um, is that we don't really know him. Remember, all the priests, the king, the prophets, all said a lot of stuff that God's going to do this and God's going to do that and, and held to a lot of the promises of God, but they didn't really understand the character of God and the person of God in all of that. They just picked and choose, chose what they wanted. And I see a lot of that in Christianity today, that we really don't understand the character and nature of God, and we kind of mold him into the confines of our exposure to God's word. And since I only know this much about the Bible, really, um, this is the bandwidth in which God has to operate. And that's trouble. Because that bandwidth of your knowledge of God is so narrow um, that you are oblivious to all these areas that you are an affront to him. And then you think that you have the capability of engaging him and, and God calls you silly. You're silly. You're so ignorant of God's word and of his truth and of who he is that you think you can twist his arm by making these declarations. Oh, you're lying to us because this is the city of peace and you can't let Jerusalem fall. You can't let the temple fall. Well, go back and study God and the agreement you have with him. Um, Examine who he is. Is he really going to let you just sin indiscriminately and do what you're doing and do nothing? Is this who God is? Is this the God that flooded the earth? Is this the God that destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah? Is, do you know nothing of God? Are you just going to banter around and say, we have a God of love? That's definitely the 60s, right? Is that all you're going to say? You don't really know me. You're just silly. And so he's going to, they don't have any understanding, he says, and then in verse 23 through 26, and really stretching in, uh, and this is going to pick up again in chapter 5. Um, God says, um, I'm, gonna, I'm the one that was there at the beginning. You don't know me. You're not, you, you know all about how to do evil things. Uh, you know how to do that, but you don't know how to please me. And so uh, I'm going to take you back to I beheld the earth. I was the one that saw the chaos. I was the one that brought everything forward. I shook the mountains. Um, I, I was there. Um, and you almost have a flavor of Job. 
where Job challenges him, says, were you there? Were you there? You know, you think you have a claim against me? Um, let's lay our cards out. Let's put them out there. Let, let me show you who I am, and now let's hear. And Job's response is, oh, stop. <laughs> I don't want I don't, I don't want this anymore. I, I, Uncle, uncle, I give. I surrender. Um, and we're going to see that a lot in uh, coming, oh, not a lot, but we're going to see it again um, in Jeremiah as we press forward and uh, God just reminds them what he can do. Um, and certainly uh, this is the beginning of really the knowledge of God. Um, and so the judgment to come is just as much the work of God and is fair as are the blessings of God and his goodness. Well, it is five after, and I've gone a little longer, and so we're going to finish this up and get into chapter five next Sunday morning. But a, a great challenge for us, and hopefully we're picking up some of the themes. And again, uh, we're going to pick up on wise to do evil, but don't know how to do good. And that's where we'll start next Sunday morning um, on this foundation of tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word. And Lord, help us to not have these hard hearts. Um, and we know that breaking up fallow ground that has not been plowed and tilled is hard work and painful. And Lord, if you find such hearts here, we pray you might do the hard work it takes to break us up that we might receive the nutrients and the richness of your hand and that you might uh, be able to use us to your kingdom's glory. Lord, we recognize our role, that the command is not for you to break our follow ground, but for us to break our follow grounds. Lord, we lay it open to you and we pray that um, we might with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength seek you serve you and demonstrate to those around us whether they are our enemies or friends or loved ones that uh, you are the Lord that lives in our life and defines who we are. And Lord, we do acknowledge that we need to know you better. And we thank you for your Spirit's help in that endeavor that we might uh, walk in your ways more because of our knowledge of who you are has penetrated into our motives and our hearts and our thoughts that our doings might be that which please you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray.